glad that you're here today. I walked in here this morning thinking it's so cloudy and overcast, man. It's going to be hard to have some energy here at 830, but the way uh, the worship team has led us today and your celebration of all the new members and uh, new believers who've come to Christ has made it just a day full of energy. So thank you for being here. Let's continue some energy. Would you stand up and read this power-packed short verse with me? 1 Corinthians 10, 31, let's say it out loud. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. You may be seated. Man, that, that verse means so much that everything in our life can be done for the glory of God. In this message series, we're focusing in on where we spend almost half of our waking hours, our, our work life. And you heard me tell the story a few weeks ago, the ad campaign when I was a teenager, where they would show on TV someone doing their job. They paved the street or they baked the cake or whatever they did. The idea was after they had done that, they would sign their name to what they had accomplished. And the idea was, if your name's associated with it, you'd probably do a more excellent job. But here's what I'm saying to you today, for you and I that are believers, we don't just sign our name, we sign the name of Jesus. And when we sign that name, that can make us the most excellent workers anywhere. You probably remember the the famous composer Bach who composed so much beautiful music. At the end of every piece of music he would compose, he would write his name and then he would put these initials, S. D-G, which in Latin meant to God's glory alone. Now remember this, Bach does not write Christian music. There's not even lyrics to his music. It's just music. And yet he believed what he did indirectly would bring glory and honor to God. That's our challenge today, that whatever we do, we're going to bring glory and honor to God. I like the way John Mark Comer put it in his book, Garden City. Here's the challenge for us as Jesus followers. If you're a Christian, you're a disciple, you're a Jesus follower. I love the way this puts it. If Jesus were me, if he lived in my city, had my job, my education, made my salary, had my family, how would he live? See, that's the challenge for you. That's the challenge for me. And work is an essential part of us following Jesus. So today, we're getting out of Genesis family, and now we're going to where the creation begins to be restored through Jesus Christ. And we're going to look at Jesus today, the model worker. Now, we'll talk about some things I've never really talked about a lot at the beginning of the message, uh, about Jesus and his first job. Uh, Jesus' first job was just a regular job like ours. Now, let's, let's define this. Here's the word that we get for carpenter, the Greek word tekton. It means carpenter, but if you look a little deeper, it also carries with it the idea of a, a builder. So Jesus probably worked with wood and stone and metal to bring things together to make things. You know, we think about Jesus making a table or a chair, that probably happened, but we can also visualize from the broadness of this word that Jesus might have been a part of building a house. But here's what we do know. Jesus worked with his hands. He did just an ordinary, regular job 
for quite a long time. In fact, write this down. He worked this job six times longer than his next job, his second job. Now, we know Jesus' job as a, a preacher, as the Savior of the world. But he didn't start that till 30, guys. From probably 12 years old to 30, he works as this carpenter builder. He spends a lot of time doing exactly what so many of you do here in this room. So he can relate to long hours. He can relate to difficult customers. He can relate when someone pays you late. He can relate to deadlines you got to meet. He's been there. He understands all those things. And here's what I believe. His first job prepared him for his second job. You say, well, why would that need to happen? Let me make a couple of statements. Jesus was absolutely sinless all of his life, but he was not absolutely mature. Think about what um, said in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verse 52. He grew in stature and wisdom and knowledge of God. He grew. The book of Hebrews says, through his suffering, he matured. He become uh, mature in his life. And so here's what I'm trying to say to you guys, is I believe those 18 years working were a part of Jesus being prepared to do what he did for us. Can you imagine the, uh, the meeting in heaven when they're trying to discuss what's the best way to send Jesus and what's the best preparation for him to be the Messiah? And who comes up with the idea? Well, let's put him in a family where the dad's a carpenter and he learns that skill and he carries that on. There's something about that that will prepare him absolutely to change the world. So if you're like me, it's the first time I've really thought of Jesus working in that way. But it helps me because it lets me know that Jesus can relate to almost any situation that we're in. And guys, listen, this shows up in his teachings. Over 50% of the parables, the stories Jesus tells, are business-related. He grew up understanding business. In Luke chapter 14, this might have been familiar to him. He talks about someone who starts a building project, who doesn't have enough money to complete it. Anybody ever worked, ran into that with somebody you were working for? And then, you know, in the most famous sermon ever, Matthew chapter 7, Jesus talks about two builders, two houses, one that's built on a foundation, one that's not. Could it be possible that one day him and his dad Joseph were building a house? And Joseph says, we're not going to start laying this until we get down to the rock. You see, I think these come out of Jesus' preparation And let me say this to you, you may be not in your dream job right now or the job that you think is your destination, but here's what we might learn from Jesus is this job may be preparing you for your next job. I've experienced that in my life. I I remember moving back home and back to Landmark and after the first year or so thinking everything I've done in my life basically prepared me for this moment. And I pray you have that moment. You may not be in the middle of it right now. But like Jesus, you may need to be patient over some time. So now Jesus begins to transition to what I would call a really tough job. Now Jesus is not just going to be a builder, carpenter. Jesus is going to be a life changer. And I love what happens in the transition. Look with me at Mark chapter 1, 
verses 9 through 11, right before Jesus starts his new job. At this time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending like a dove and a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love with you. I am well pleased as Jesus is about to start this new job. The whole Trinity comes together to affirm to him who he is. Listen, Jesus' father wanted him to clearly know his identity. That's why it was so important for Jesus to hear his daddy say, this is my boy, this is my son. I love him. And I'm proud of him. Now, please remember this, unlike the transfiguration, these words weren't spoken to the audience. These words were spoken directly to Jesus. God wants Jesus to be affirmed in who he is. And I would say to you and I, before we walk into any job, it is critical that we know who we are. If you don't know who you are before you walk in that job, your job might become your identity. Or the people you work with might so influence you that they change who you are. You must live out of your identity. You know, if you just think, I'm just a lazy person who's just working for the weekend, that's probably the way you're going to work. If you think what Christians commonly say, I'm just a struggling sinner saved by grace, you'll probably just struggle. But if you were to think what God says to Jesus and what God would say to you, You are my son. You are my daughter. You represent me in everything you do. You you can bring glory to me in the most menial job. There's not, you know, you know, there's not these ministry jobs over here that bring glory to me and everyday regular jobs that have nothing to do with me. Oh no, it's all spiritual and it all can represent him. So after Jesus is affirmed in his identity. Then Jesus goes to his first day of work. You're reading the Gospel of Mark, and Jesus teaches and preaches. He casts out demons, and he heals people. And man, he appoints apostles. I mean, his, his first day is just packed. And then in Mark chapter 1, verse 35, we get to his second day of work, of this new job. This is an incredible passage, I think, that will teach us so much about what our workday should be as people who are imitating Jesus Christ, all right? So let's read this incredible story, Mark chapter 1, verse 35. How does Jesus spend his day? Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left his house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Watch what happens. I mean, the day before, the house is packed. The next morning, the house is packed, people wanting to know Jesus. And, and Simon Peter is a little bit perturbed at Jesus, being out here goofing off by himself. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. There's a crowd at the door. USA Today wants to do an article on you. Lester Holtz, he's interested in an interview. And what are you doing out here all by yourself? Get up, Jesus, and get back to this house where the crowds are. 
Jesus' reply is surprising. Let us go somewhere else. Come on, Jesus. The crowd's back here. The reporters are back here. Why in the world are we going somewhere else? To the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. He's mad about what this demon has done to this man. He reached out his hand and he touched the man. I'm willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. What a day. So what can you and I learn about how we should spend our everyday work life? Number one, Jesus started his day alone with God. And this is not the only time. The Gospel of Luke chapter 3 says he often withdrew to lonely places. There's something important about getting yourself away from everybody and all the noise of life and simply being alone with God. And Jesus lived in this important rhythm in his everyday life. Guys, if, who, if understanding who we are is critical to how we work, then it is critical for every morning for me to spend time with my Heavenly Father being reminded who I am. If that was critical for Jesus, it's super critical for me before I barrel into my new day, I stop, I'm alone, and I listen for the voice of God and I talk to him. Number two, Jesus knew his calling. Uh, That's a special word for his vocation. Jesus, when when Peter says, guys, Jesus, the crowd's back here. That's where you belong. Jesus says, nope, I'm leaving those guys. I mean, anybody would think that sounds crazy. But Jesus knew his calling. His calling was not just to heal everybody. I mean, that was an incredible part of his ministry, but that was not his calling. His calling was to preach the kingdom of God, to preach the gospel. And so Jesus says, no, I know who I am. I know what I've been called to do. I'm not going to do that. I want to ask you this morning, when it comes to your work life, I want you to think about this. What is your calling Why does God have you tomorrow morning in that school, in that business, in that construction site? Why are you placed there? What calling has Jesus put on you for where you will show up on Monday morning? Now, number three flows out of this and is extremely important. Jesus was willing to say no to good things in order to say yes to the best things. No to good things to say yes to best things. Now, the only reason he could do that, listen closely to me, only reason he could do it is because he knew what he was about. If you don't know your, what you're about, you're going to be tossed all around by every demand, by everything that comes up urgent. You're going to think, I've got to run and do that. Can you only imagine the pressure on Jesus? You're going to say no to these sick people back in this house who need healing? Yes, because I know what I'm about. Love the story about Billy Graham, who arguably the greatest preacher in American history. He was invited to a university to preach their commencement address. It was quite an honor. And yet he called them back. He said, I'm sorry, I'm not going to come. I would love to come. I know it would be a good experience. But God has called me to preach the gospel to people who have never heard it. 
And if I go speak at your commencement address, someone who's never heard about Jesus won't hear about him. He knew how to say no because he knew his yes. I love the statement. Good is the enemy of the best. You know, I know in your job, you, you feel pressures. Let me, let me just tell you the pressures I feel in my job, okay? I feel like I need to be a good leader. I need to cast vision. I need to give a TED Talk quality lesson every Sunday to people from the most scholarly people in this room to six years old and people who've never come to church. I think I need to meet with 50 people a week. I need to visit the hospital. I need to read a thousand books a year. I need to have a presence on social media. I need to reach out and study the Bible with the loss. I need to have a picture perfect marriage. I need to be looking for justice in the world. I need to visit, visit every one of Landmark's mission points. And on top of all that, I am expected to read every Landmark email. <laughs> well, that's enough to get you, right? Because I, I can't do all that. And so if I'm going to do what I need to do, I need to learn to say no. If you come up to me, sorry, and you say, my marriage is in trouble, buddy, and I need some marriage counseling, I'll say, I'll meet with you, I'll pray with you, but I'm not going to be your marriage counselor. That's not what I've been called to do. If you come to me and say, I've got this new project and this new ministry that I think you should be the one to lead, more than likely I'm going to say, buddy, can't do that. I got to stay focused on what I've been called to do. And guys, that's hard. It's hard to say no to good things, but Jesus exemplified that. So let me ask you, what are some things you need to say no to so you can say yes to the important things? Because all your choices are not between good and evil. Sometimes they're between good and best. And if Satan can't get you choosing evil, he'll just get you to choose the lesser so the mission of God is neglected. Number four, Jesus was touched by people's needs. Scripture says over and over, he's filled with compassion. When Jesus goes to work, yes, he knows his focus. He knows what he needs to do, but he's not too busy to be interrupted by the needs of people. And so he heals this man full of leprosy. And I ask you, at your workplace, are you in touch with people? Do you talk to people at work? Do you ask them really good questions? Do you actually listen to what they say? Do you follow up on that? You say, I don't know about you, but I I can be rather focused on what I do. And you probably have to have those times yourself. But they never need to be so focused that you neglect the needs of people who are all around you because you never know how God's going to use it. I've had the coolest experience this week I've got to tell you about. I was leaving the office Thursday, and uh, one of our administrative assistants, Karen, gave me a name and a phone number. She said, this guy's been calling the church building, and he's interested in being baptized. So first thing I did when I got in my truck is I called him. And so he answers the phone, and uh, I say, all right, man, I heard you were thinking about being baptized. He said, yeah, I've really come to a point in my life where I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. 
He said, when can you, I be baptized? When are you available to baptize me? I said, I could do it right now. We could do it anytime you want to. We can do it, we do it anytime. He said, well, let me, let, me, let me think about this. He said, but I, I feel like I'm at that point. And he says, um, and so I said to him, well, how did you get to Landmark? How long have you been here? He said, well, I've been here three or four months. Well, how did you find out about it? Listen, guys. He said, six years ago, I was in the hospital, and there was a nurse who took care of me, and she was a great nurse. And I was having lots of problems. I almost lost my arm. I had some addiction issues. And this, this lady would come in my room and just listen to me. And before I left the hospital, she gave me the number to Landmark Church and said, if you ever are ready to get some help with this, call this number. My friends, he saved that number for five and a half years before he called this church. And I think, guys, there's a good likelihood he'll be baptized today. And guys, that's what happens when we go to work and we represent Christ. I called the girl who had been his nurse She had no clue, but she immediately remembered his name. But she didn't six years ago. And so, guys, as as we go to work, we've got to be aware of people's needs. And just one more point here this morning. Jesus worked with excellence. Because if you want to reflect the glory of God, if you're the goof off at work, if you're the one cutting the corners, if you're the one not willing to really work the hours... I would challenge you, are you representing the excellence of God? God loves excellent work. That's why he told us, whatever you do, do it for my glory. Look at this passage about Jesus, Mark 7, 37. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He's done everything well, they said. God loves excellent work. He loves beautiful work. You ever been to some of those cathedrals or saw pictures of some of the famous cathedrals in Europe like Notre Dame or Westminster? I was reading something this week. Is that in those cathedrals, even in some of the places you and I can't see, there's still intricate, beautiful work done where none of us will see. And someone asked them, why are you doing this? Nobody can see this nook or corner. Here was their answer. God can. And I'm telling you, wherever you go, whatever you do, God can see what you're doing. And so we need to be people who in our work, work in an excellent way. This is a very practical quotation by name, a man, a woman named Dorothy Sayers. She says, the church's approach to an intelligent carpenter is usually confined to exhorting him to not be a drunk and not be disorderly in his leisure hours, and he needs to come to church on Sundays. What the church should be telling him is this, that the very first demand that his religion makes upon him is that he should make good tables. Wow. He did all things well. And you're not going to be perfect, and I'm not going to be perfect, but the quality of work we give is a reflection on God. 
So let me ask you a couple questions and we're going to sing a song. If we can pray for you today, we'd love you to come. Have you suffered from identity theft? You see, the most important thing here is do you know your identity? If your identity is firmly in Christ, you're ready to walk out of here and walk into whatever job that you have and reflect him. Wherever you go to school, wherever you show up, maybe it's in your home on Monday with your children. If you have struggled with that, I ask you this question. Do you need to hear the words of God? You are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. You see, I don't think Jesus was the only son of God. Oh, he was son in a unique way. But God has called you and I sons and daughters. And I think if you'll listen closely enough, you will hear him say to you, you're my son, you're my daughter. I love you very much. And I'm so proud of you. And out of that, you walk out of here or out of that alone time with God and you go represent him well and bring glory to him in everything you do. If today you need to realign some priorities, if today you need to surrender to Jesus and be baptized and hear those words at your baptism, I invite you to come while we stand together and sing.